Amen. Thank you, Brother Mark. Thank you, praise team. I appreciate that so much. This morning, as we look at God's Word, first of all, I want to be the first one to wish you a happy new year. And uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm not the first one, but I'm getting pretty close, you know. So happy new year to all of you, too, that are, uh, that are uh, watching online. And uh, just so glad to be with you this morning. What a blessed time it is to be in God's house. And I'm just going to tell you, I think you started out the right way by coming to worship today. And uh, hopefully this will be something that will enrich and bless your life for the rest of the year. And, uh, but that doesn't mean you should stay away the rest of the year. It just means you should keep coming, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, listen, as we look at God's Word this morning, and by the way, just want to say uh, uh, briefly, just remember Pastor Sean and his family in the passing of his mother and just continue to pray for them. And thank you, Brother Mark, for taking care of the announcements this morning. I was going to be in here, and, and uh, I started off, even though it's not the 1st of January, I did start off the new year with computer problems. So anyway, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can get that worked out here pretty soon. Well, this morning, I want to just share with you that, uh, you know, there's probably, uh, there's some things in life that are kind of downers. And one of those things that I think is a downer is when someone has gone to a lot of effort to provide a gift for you, and for that gift to be left unopened and unenjoyed. This morning, as we look at God's Word in Luke chapter 4, and we continue, we, we're finishing up this series on God's gift to us. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, what we will find is that when Jesus showed up at his hometown, the people of his hometown missed an incredible gift. Now, whether or not anyone in Nazareth eventually received Christ and put faith in him, we don't know. But what we do know from this episode in Luke chapter 4 is that the, the city of about 20,000 people missed out on the blessing of Messiah. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about a time in my life when I nearly lost a precious gift. I was a little boy, and, and they were having an Easter egg hunt on Jekyll Island, Georgia. And it was promoted in the community, and so there were a lot of people that had traveled over there, and we were, you know, we were all dressed up in our Easter clothes, and we were, had Easter baskets. In those days, that's what we did, and um, we showed up on Saturday, I believe it was on Saturday, and we had our Easter baskets, and there were just hundreds of kids out there. And they cut the tape, and, or they blew the whistle, or something like that, and we all ran into the, the woods and into the fields and every, you know, the picnic area, and we were looking for those eggs. And man, we were finding an egg here, we were finding an egg there, and I was filling up my basket, and I was trying to keep up with everybody else. And I looked down, and I picked up what I thought was a, a white egg, and it turned out to be a plastic egg. Well, I looked at that thing, and it wasn't an egg, so I threw it out. I was pretty young. And so uh, eventually, uh, my mother came along, and people were still hunting for eggs, and she said, have you found, have you found uh, the special egg? And I said, what do you mean? 
And she said, well, there's some special eggs that are hidden now, and they have prizes inside, and they're little plastic eggs. And I said, oh, my goodness, I threw it back in the bushes. And so she said, well, where was it? And so we went, and we looked for this plastic egg, and sure enough, I picked it up and found it. And then the two of us together, we opened it up, and there was a little piece of paper with a number on it. Well, we put it back together, and we put it in the basket, and then we gathered with everyone else, and um, they were giving away prizes, and we didn't realize this at the time. Well, maybe my mother did. I didn't know. But the egg, the number that was in my egg, which I eventually was able to pull out and show to the organizer of the event, the number entitled us to a year's worth, uh, of, a, a year's worth of free eggs. Man, that was fantastic, I guess. My mom and dad thought it was fantastic, and it was fantastic. But you know, I nearly lost it. I nearly gave it away. I nearly missed the opportunity to have scrambled eggs and poached eggs and fried eggs and, man, any kind of egg. Because I just didn't receive it. But fortunately, I did. And I think for about three months, Ricky, I think for about three months, we went and got eggs. And after that, they just gave us a check for the rest of the year. (laughs) I guess they got tired of us, you know, coming to pick up the eggs. But the point I want to make this morning is that God has gone out of his way. He's gone through a tremendous amount of work and effort to provide a gift to humanity. And one of the most tragic things is that many people will not realize the blessing of that gift. Well, this morning as we look at God's Word, I want to invite you to please stand with me in honor of God's Word. I want to read this passage to you, and then I want to speak on the subject of God's irreplaceable gift, unrealized. Beginning with verse... Number 16 of Luke chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to heal the brokenhearted. And verse 20 says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord God, help us to receive the truth that you have for each one of us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to our hearts, to guide and direct our very thoughts in this moment. Lord God, we have turned our attention away from 
the things of lesser importance now and we pray oh God that you would provide bread for our souls living water to quench our thirst and Lord God we pray that you might guide and direct us in that way that is pleasing unto you in Jesus name we pray amen thank you please be seated well, it's evident from this passage of Scripture that when Jesus was in his synagogue, that the people of Nazareth in the synagogue at Nazareth had heard of him. They knew all about him. As a matter of fact, in verse 14 of this chapter, it tells us that Jesus came out of the wilderness and he came in the power of the Holy Spirit in the, 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 the region of Galilee. And the Scripture tells us that that he was well received by all who were there. He, he, news about him was spreading all over the region. Uh, it says that, that the whole place, were, that everyone was praising him in, in verse 15. And so he had this incredible ministry. And now he comes to his hometown at Nazareth. And it's evident that the power of God is residing on him. Because as he reads the scroll, the Bible says he captured the attention of the people. You know, there's something wonderful and special when, when God's man and God or God's woman is reading God's word and the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, which pierces to the point of dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow. The Bible is incredible, God's word. And when God's man or God's woman gets a hold of God's word, it is truly powerful in life. It can transform you. When you read your Bible for a quiet time, I want to encourage you to devote your focus and attention because God speaks through His Word. And God was speaking through His Messiah on this Saturday in the synagogue in Nazareth. The people's eyes were fixed upon Him, the Scripture says. And in verse 22, it says, And all spoke well of him, and they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They, they truly were amazed at him. They, they, were, they were just speaking among themselves. And the, the Greek tense is that they just continue to talk among themselves how, how wonderful this is. And, and he said, Today, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. You know, Jesus, when Jesus said today, Jesus didn't say in a few years from now. Jesus didn't say we're just going to rehash history. He said this is the moment when you need to recognize that the prophet Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. I am the Messiah. And the people understood what he was claiming in this moment. And that's important for us to understand. And, and one reason why it's important for us to understand is because the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You know, we, we have all kinds of things that happen in our lives, and our lives oftentimes are punctuated with those moments when we just know God has said this to me, and I need to either... I need to do this or not do this or whatever it is. It's important to respond to whatever God leads us to. 
The Bible literally says that they gave witness to him. The people there agreed with him at the gracious words, the words of grace, literally, that he spoke. But something happened in that place, in that synagogue, in the church, where you'd expect there to be, and it wasn't a church, it was a synagogue, but, but it was a gathering of people who were religious, who were looking for Messiah, but something happened in there because their hearts were, 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 were full of the power of the Holy Spirit was speaking to them, but then a moment, a moment of doubt either flourished or it became verbally spoken. And the Bible says that there were some in this, in this synagogue at this place that began to question whether or not Jesus could be the Messiah. And bear in mind now, Jesus has had this incredible ministry in Galilee. Galilee he's, the, word, the, the word of him has gone around and, and people have heard there's been reports of miracles. There's been reports of all kinds of things. And yet at the latter part of verse 22, they said, Is this not, or is not this Joseph's son? Th these people just could not... I guess they began to believe that there was just no way that Jesus could be the Messiah because after all, this is the son of Joseph. They diminished the very person of Jesus Christ in this moment. Their familiarity blinded them to who the Messiah was because there's just no way that this person could be the Messiah. After all, they'd grown up. Uh, he'd grown up with them. I mean, think about this for just a moment. You know, Jesus must have done a pretty good job of hiding who he was or not, uh, not showing off, so to speak, in his, uh, in his divine power, so to speak, as a child and as he grew up and became a carpenter in this area because the people, they just saw him as a common man. And these people particularly, though they marveled at him, they, they thought to themselves, he's just another guy. I want to just share this with you. They failed to enjoy the blessing of God's gift because of their inability to see Jesus for who he was. They only saw him maybe as a teacher. They only saw him maybe as a son of Joseph. And after all, they knew his brothers and his sisters. As a matter of fact, the, the book of, of Mark tells us about that. Take your Bible, if you will, and go to Mark chapter 6, just a moment. Mark chapter 6, it kind of corresponds to this. In Mark chapter 6, in verse number 2, it says in this passage, And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And look at this, Mark 6, verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, or Jose's, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us, and they took offense at him. 
You know, if you can go through life and you diminish the person of Jesus Christ and you can say, well, he was a great teacher, he was a great leader, he was a revolutionary figure, um, he, was a, he was an incredible, and, and I'm saying this kind of in the, in the idea of a skeptic, but he was an incredible magician or something like that. If you can go through life and say those things about Jesus, but deny that he is Messiah and Lord, then you will miss the the incredible, wonderful, irreplaceable gift of sight for the blind. Of healing for the brokenhearted. Of good news for the poor. You will miss the freedom that comes to those who are captive and you will miss the burden being lifted off those who are repressed if you can say that Jesus was wonderful in this way but he was not Savior, Lord, Messiah you will miss that irreplaceable gift these people they just couldn't get over that fact I guess there, there's, a, there's a, a song that some of you may have heard before. The first few words are like this. I'm looking over a four-leaf clover that I never saw before. Anybody here ever heard that song before? Okay, well, just for those of you that haven't seen it, a four-leaf clover is supposed to be something very rare and very beautiful. And the writer of this song, I'm looking over a four-leaf clover that I never uh, saw before. Brother Mark, can you sing that for us? Where are you? <laughs> He's not going to do it, I know. The idea is that, that, that this person missed something very valuable and irreplaceable. And I just have to tell you, many people in the world today have undervalued the person of Christ. They've diminished his person, and because of that, they fail to see who he really is. Even after they'd heard the reports and all these kind of things from everybody in Galilee and all this stuff that Jesus was doing, and you know, you think about these folks, there's probably some people like me, some old timers on the back row that are kind of irritated that this fella who was a young whippersnapper that grew up in my hometown, he's making such impressive claims. He's just Joseph's son, isn't he? There's a second reason I think that we want to note this morning that people miss that irreplaceable gift. And, and, it, and, it, and this, applies not just to, uh, this applies not just to those who don't have Christ in their life, but it also applies to those who do have Christ in their life, and yet they somehow they miss the joy of knowing that he's capable of intersecting with their daily lives and making a difference. And, and this is where I think people, people miss the mark. Sometimes they not just, do not just diminish the person of Christ, but they deny his power. Jesus is there, and the word has gone out about the power of Jesus and what he's been doing and the good report. And yet, in spite of his reputation 
the power of his delivery on that specific day, particularly the moment where their hearts were touched and warmed and they were amazed and marveled and, and their eyes were fixed on him, they were focused, they were staring at him. In spite of the way that he gripped their hearts in that moment, they denied his power. They could not believe that he had done the great things that had happened in other places. You see what happened is their skepticism estranged them from him. That little nerve of doubt, is this not Joseph's son? No, 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 he is not Joseph's son. He is the son of God. He's on a whole different level. Yes, he was born of the Virgin Mary, but make no mistake about it, his father is God the Father. They failed to see him as more than a child of Nazareth. They were, they were inclined to disbelief. They really were inclined to disbelief. I can just imagine that probably as the reports begin to come in about Jesus of Nazareth doing all these great things, they were probably sitting at the barber shop talking about the fact, do you hear what happened the other day in you know, the Capernaum or in, in this area of Galilee or wherever? Did you hear what happened? They said Jesus of Nazareth was doing these things. Do you believe that? No, I can't believe that. And, you know, they're talking like the barber shop and uh, maybe the ladies were getting a pedicure, a manicure at the salon, and they were saying, Oh, my goodness, did you hear about Jesus? Yeah, that's Mary's boy. Well, I just don't believe that. There's no way. I saw him when he was a little boy. I used to change his diapers. There's no way he could have done that. They were inclined to disbelief. Their familiarity with Jesus had blinded them and their skepticism had estranged them. In Mark chapter 6, maybe you're still there, in Mark chapter 6, in verse number 4, Jesus replies here, he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And it's true that Jesus' very family did not believe in him for a while. Matter of fact, they thought he was kind of crazy. But if you look back in Luke chapter 4, at this passage of Scripture, Jesus understood what was going on in their hearts. And here we know that Jesus, he understood the thoughts of people. And, and though they were speaking well and they marveled at his gracious words, in verse 23... He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. So that they, they heard, you know, it's interesting, they heard that he did these things, but they really did not believe. And Jesus knew that's what was going on in their hearts because Again, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus says they didn't have faith. I've got to tell you something. Uh, you know, they demanded miracles of Jesus, but you know what? It's interesting because that's exactly what Satan demanded of Jesus. Did you realize that? When Jesus was tempted, the third 
temptation that Satan gave to Jesus in the wilderness was, Jesus, I want you to go to the top of the temple, and I want you to jump down, and God will not allow you to be harmed. His angels will catch you and protect you. It was a temptation for Jesus to do something fantastic in order for the people to believe in him. And Jesus responded and said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He quoted out of Deuteronomy. And here, the people had that same mindset. We don't really believe in you unless you perform a miracle. Now, I don't want us to be mistaken because the miracles that Jesus performed, they were performed to help people authenticate him as the Messiah. But the miracles were done by his own choice, not by the demands of others. This reminds me of people today who say, well, I'm not going to believe unless Jesus unless Jesus gives me a pink Cadillac. You know, I'm not going to believe unless I've prayed, I've asked Jesus, I've talked to the Lord, and I've said, Lord, would you pre please take away this nosebleed? And unless Jesus stops my nose from bleeding, I will not believe. You know, I, I mean, that's a silly thing, I know. <laughs> but there are people out there that are like that. Well, I've prayed and nothing happened. Well, so what? You know, some people think that unless the Lord delivers them from some trial of their life, that he's not worthy of their love and their respect. We've got enough historical evidence to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. We've also got the inner witness of God's Holy Spirit who's spoken to our hearts as individuals. When you came to faith in Christ, it's because something in you said, this is true, this is real, and I need the Lord in my life. That's the moment of conviction when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you cry out for mercy. And if you've been born again, that's what happens. That's what happens in your life. But, but somehow or another, some people think that God is just a cosmic bellboy and he's just waiting and willing to gratify our desire. And some people think, well, if he doesn't answer my prayers, then he must not exist. That's one of the arguments of an atheist. Let me just share with you that this is applying to those who are without Christ. But, but this also can apply to those who are in Christ. And here's what, here's what I want you to see. It's not just to the unbelievers, but it's also to believers who have little faith. Ye of little faith. A backsliding believer, a little faith follower who's tossed about by the, the choppy seas and every wind of doctrine. They just are always ready to count out God when things aren't going right. Well, God just wasn't with me. God didn't really come through, and, and I believe in Him, but somehow God thinks I'm lesser than. I don't want you to miss the truth that just because He did not make a bad day disappear... Just because he did not lift someone out of the flood or above the flood or out of the cell or away from the fire, just because he didn't do, do those things does not mean he's not there. Because after all, he did bring you 
through the fire, through the flood. He did bring you to that place in that cell, whatever it was in your life where you knew that he was with you. I'm just reminded of the words of the Lord to Paul, the apostle. Paul was really having a bad day. He was really struggling. He said, there's a thorn in my side, and it's a messenger from Satan himself, and it torments me. And Paul said, I prayed three times, Lord, take this away. You ever been there? You got a thorn in your side. You got something that's not right. Maybe there's a, a situation at work, and it's just a continual drip, drip, drip of pain. Maybe there's a, a, a something in the family. The family is split apart, broke apart. I don't know what it could be, but, but maybe there's, there's some kind of physical ailment in your life. Maybe there's the loss of a dream. Maybe there's all kinds of trouble in your life, and it's the thing that just has captured your attention and brings you sorrow. And it just doesn't go away. Can I just share with you, you need, you need to be reminded of the words of Jesus if you're a believer, and that is, my grace is sufficient for you. Can you say this with me this morning? His grace is sufficient for me. Let's say it one more time. His grace is sufficient for me. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Don't deny his power. Don't count him out. You might be in the fourth quarter of life, but don't forget that he's promised to complete that work that he began in you. These people missed enjoying that irreplaceable gift of God in Messiah because they diminished the person of Christ. He was really not the Messiah in their mind, and they, 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 they denied his power. They wanted a sign. They wanted him to do a miracle for them, and Jesus said, I'm not going to do it. I'm reminded of a couple other occasions when Jesus refused to do miracles for people. One of those is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. In John chapter 6, they said to him, What must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to believe in God, believe in God, and believe in the one he sent, Jesus Christ. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, it was not Moses who gave your fathers the manna. It was God. And Jesus said, I am the true bread from heaven. And I give life 
to people. You want life. You want abundance. You want, you want to realize the joy of that irreplaceable gift. You have to expect and believe and trust and have faith in God. When Jesus performed miracles of healing for people, he said you are, you're, you are cleansed or you are free or you can get up and walk. Your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has healed you. He did not mean that if I just gin up enough trust and faith in my, in my own heart that everything is going to be okay. But he said, you have to trust in me. I'm reminded of that dear woman that had been struggling with a physical issue for many years. She could not get to Jesus, but she reached through the crowd and touched his garment. And he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Trust the Lord, beloved. Trust him. I'll tell you the truth. Well, you know, I'm so excited. We paid off that building. Hallelujah. I can dance, boy. Woo, yeah. But I got to tell you, when we started talking about taking out a loan for over a million dollars, I was on my knees right here, just a blubbering mess, crying out to the Lord, Lord, help us do the right thing. And there were some folks in our congregation like Mr. Kenny, who stood up here and said, have faith. And God's been so good to us. Now, this is just the beginning, okay? And we've got to continue and be a good steward of that gift that he's blessed us with. But I've got to tell you something. It requires me not to forget that he is able and he is with me. There's one more thing I want you to see here, and it kind of wraps up in this passage this morning, and, and man, what an incredible, incredible thing happened here, and, and let's just begin reading, uh, let's, let's take a look at this passage and go back to, to Luke chapter 4 just a moment, and look at verse 23, and let's read to the end of it, and then I want to share with you some words about this, because these people right now are disinclined to believe, they don't think he's really anything special, they denied his power, but in just a moment you're going to find out that they become furiously angry with him. Verse 23 of Luke 4. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow verse 27 and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them were cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian and when they heard these things all all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They were so mad. They were furious. Not just a few of the older folks, but everybody in the synagogue was angry with him, and they brought him to a cliff to throw him over. They were mad. 
You ever been seen anybody mad like that? Oh my goodness, help me, Lord. You know, sometimes it's better to walk away, and that's exactly what Jesus did. But, but here's the point I want you to see. Some people miss the incredible gift of Messiah, the gift of God, because they dismiss His person, because they deny His power. But, but thirdly, these people got to the point where they detested His purpose of salvation. Their hatred barred them from experiencing the grace and the mercy and the healing of God in their lives because they hated what he said here. What did he mean by these proverbs and the stories that he told? Well, first of all, I want you to understand that the the widow that Elijah was sent to, she was not Jewish. And Naaman, the leper who was healed, he was not Jewish. And so when Jesus told these stories, it enraged them because in their mind, the Jewish people were the chosen ones and the Gentiles were nothing more than fuel for the fire. That's how they said it back then. And Jesus, when he told this story, he wanted them to understand that his mission of deliverance and mercy and grace was not just for the chosen people. And believe me, the Jewish people are wonderful, those who know the Lord particularly, but the Jewish race is chosen by God, but they're not the only ones. You know, I know as believers, we say this oftentimes, and I don't know whether we truly believe it or not, but sometimes... We say that we know that Jesus died for all, and we know that he loves everybody, but you know, I'm not real crazy about ministering to these people. They got the wrong political affiliation. (laughs) What do they say? Don't ever talk about religion and politics. I was talking with a friend of mine just this past week and asked him how his Christmas went, and he said it went good, and then he said, you know, we have a rule, we don't talk about religion and politics, and I'm like, well, I do. Listen, I, I want you to know that, that God loves even those who are on the other side of the aisle from you, and unfortunately, many on that side of the aisle and many on the other side of the aisle that... that they can be deceived by the enemy. I think personally that if you're advocating life-altering surgery for children just because you don't like their gender, that you're demonically inspired. I think that if you're if you're saying that people should be put to death just because they are of a certain race. You're demonically inspired. And Paul says it too, because Paul makes it very clear that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces of wickedness. Just this past week, a friend of mine gave me this wonderful book about the, that has to do with the unseen realm and the spiritual warfare that surrounds us. And folks, I tell you what, it breaks my heart. And I, get, I, just, I have to ask God to help me not to get angry. I have to be honest with you, because I get so worked up when I hear these things that are going on and I think wow they're destroying they're destroying our nation they're destroying our moral fabric they're doing everything and you know it makes me so angry but I have to remind myself to pray put on the armor of God and pray 
pray against these things. I'm praying God will send deliverance and revival because I know that if he doesn't, our nation is going to be just like it was in, in Nineveh and, and, and it, the people don't know their right from their left. It's possible that, that Sodom and Gomorrah could be a precursor to what will happen here. I don't know, but I know this, that the hatred of these people in the synagogue on this day barred them from the mercies of God because they could not understand the purpose of God to redeem people from every tribe, every race, every language group. And because of that, they missed the mercy. You know, they were asking for a miracle, and they got one. Although it wasn't the miracle they were asking for. Notice what it says, the very last part of this chapter. The scripture tells us, in verse number 29, they brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. And verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. That was a miracle. That was incredible to have the whole synagogue mad enough to throw you off the cliff and they rush you outside and they're about to throw you off the cliff and then all of a sudden, I get this picture of Jesus kind of like the flash. You know, the flash, zoom, 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 he's so fast. And all these people are yelling, and all of a sudden they just like, ah, and here's Jesus. And he's gone. Oh, they got a miracle, all right. But it wasn't the miracle that they expected. Matthew Henry, I got a quote I want to show you. Matthew Henry, that great commentator, he, he says this. He speaks about the opportunity the opportunity for these people. He says, he came to Nazareth when he had gained a reputation. He was in Galilee and, and Capernaum, and, and he gained a reputation in other places in hopes that, he, that thereby something at least of the contempt and the prejudice with which his countrymen would look upon him might be worn off. He knew about their contempt and their prejudice, but he waited to come to them. And probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible is this last verse. It was incredible, but it was also sad because passing, but passing through their midst, he went away. As far as we know, he never went back to Nazareth. I don't know where you are in your personal life right now and what's going on. I don't know whether you're happy or satisfied, dissatisfied. I don't know, you know, what your hopes and dreams are, but I do know this. In that moment when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, He is not obligated to revisit the issue with you. And for those of you who have heard His voice and sensed His calling, the only response is, yes, Lord. Yes for salvation or yes for sanctification to walk in a way that's pleasing to Him. Today, He said, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your sight, in your hearing. This is the acceptable time of God's favor. 
I want to encourage you, whatever it is, as you begin this new year, to make sure that you do business with God. Maybe this morning it would be about coming forward and receiving Christ publicly, acknowledging Him if you've never done that before. Maybe today, those of you maybe who have not been baptized, you need to go ahead and make a commitment to get baptized because it's not just an option. It's a, it's a requirement for believers to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We can do that right here. Maybe today you're just struggling with some issue and you'd like prayer. Please come talk to me before you leave today. I want to pray with you. And, and you know, if you have family that's waiting, they can wait long enough for us to have prayer together. Maybe you'd like to commit yourself to being a part of this fellowship. Uh, you know, we, there's a lot of different options for church in this area. And some churches appeal to some more than others, and we understand that. But you know what? If God is ministering to you and He's working in your life, He's giving you bread to eat and He's providing living water so that you don't thirst, if He's providing that through this ministry, this church, whether online or here in person, then maybe you ought to decide, I want to be a part of this and contribute to what God is doing here. I want you to make a decision today. Don't diminish the person of Christ, don't deny his power. And please don't get on the wrong side of, of the Lord and detest his purpose in reaching all people because that's why we're here. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your word this morning. And Lord God, as we sing this last song of worship this morning, Lord, help our hearts to give evidence of what you're doing in our lives so that our feet begin to move and so that our mouth begins to praise. And Lord God, we just ask you to help us to demonstrate the commitments you've called us to now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about First Baptist Church of Wildwood and our ministries, you can go to our website, fbcwildwood.org our Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Wildwood, or our Instagram page, F.B. Wildwood. Have a great Jesus-filled day.